0: We've been going through the book of Luke for quite a while now, uh, and maybe we should speed up, but we're not. So uh, we're going through chapter 12, and chapter 12 and 13 is going to be called Hang On. That's our theme for this, because we're going to find out there's a lot of instances where people are tempted to compromise, but they decide to hang on. And Jesus here is teaching his disciples and the people around him how important it is to hang on to him in the time that we really feel like we should just let go. So uh, today we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. If you want to follow along, you can. All the scripture will be on the screen, or if you want to read it at home, you could do that too. Okay, so uh, we're going to start right away because there's a lot to cover, and bef- but there's one thing I want to share with you before we get into the passage. Today we're going to be talking about something really sensitive, and that is money. And, and the reason why it's sensitive is because there's a reputation out there that the only thing that the church cares about is grabbing your money. I'll tell you this right now. Everything in this sermon that sounds like I'm telling you what to do with your money is not a command, okay? You are free to do whatever you want with your money, okay? But uh, but I also want you, if you call yourself a Christian, I want you to be very sensitive to what the Spirit might be speaking to you about today, okay? Because, you know, um, we're, we're required to be very, uh, we're supposed to we're held accountable by God to do with what we own. So, so just that out there. If you're not a Christian, if you're visiting us for the first time, you, know, you could apply this to your life if you want. Okay? But just so you know, God isn't interested in getting something from you. Okay? God is interested in doing something for you. And this is just one of those things. So just to let you guys know, if you feel like, oh, I should give, and you're like, but the church isn't in it for the money, give it to somebody else. Okay, I, I, We'll get to it when we get there. So that's just the one thing I want you to know. So once again, Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. Let's get started. Okay, here's verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, that's Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide an inheritance with me. Now, this story was told 2,000 years ago on the other side of the globe. So when they talk about inheritance, there's a certain code, a certain law that they followed. Okay, and this is what that sounds like. In the the Old Testament, there's a bunch of rules. And one of the rules says, when you give your inheritance to your kids, make sure that the oldest son gets twice as much as everybody else in the family. Because the oldest son is the one that's going to take care of everything else. Everything that the parents were doing, the oldest son is going to take care of. So so this is probably a question that came from one of the younger brothers who looked at the older brother who just inherited everything. And he says, you know, bro, you're supposed to give me some money. I'm owed some stuff. And because he's not giving it to me, I'm going to go talk to somebody with authority. In this case, is teacher Jesus, rabbi Jesus, okay? And says, I know what the law says. I know what the rule says. Jesus, you know what the rule says too. Can you tell my brother? Can you set him straight? Can you tell him to give my share of the inheritance to me? Because he's been hoarding it all, okay? So that's that's the context, okay? My, My brother isn't following the rules. Please tell him to follow the rules. Jesus' response. He replied, man who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? It's like, you're not asking me to be a judge over you. You're just telling me to confirm what you're just telling me to do. And then next, Jesus says something that's unexpected. He starts to teach a lesson that you think, you know, this guy who asked Jesus this question or this, this, you know, it's like, can you please do this for me? He receives a word from Jesus that he didn't expect to receive. And this is how that goes. Jesus continues this. He says to them, and by then, he's not just talking about the person who just asked a question. He's talking to everybody in the crowd. There's about 1,000, 2,000 people in the crowd at this point. He looks at them, all of them, and also to us, I would say, okay, and says, watch out, <clears throat> be on your guard against all kinds of greed. To which the original question asker says, greed? I didn't say anything about greed. I just want what's due to me. And Jesus looks deep into the eyes of the guy who's asking the question and says, I know what you said. But I know deep down your heart there's something that's brewing, and the fact that your brother doesn't want to give you his, you know, your share of the inheritance to you tells me that maybe he has a little bit of greed inside of him too. This is a greed issue. It's like really, it's like yeah, this is a greed issue. Well, tell me more. Like Jesus, like I would be happy to because we're still in verse 15. Next part, he says, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. He says the worth that you carry with you is not equal to how much you own. In other words, Jesus is giving us a danger, a warning sign. He says, here's the danger of greed. The danger of greed is this. We begin to equate possessions with value of life, right? I have this much money, therefore you must be more valuable. Now back then, that was very common because if you had more resources, that means that you could survive longer. Now keep in mind, today when you go into your closet, you probably find like, I don't know, a a week, two weeks, three weeks, a month's worth of clothes, right? Back in those days, you probably only had what you were wearing today and maybe one extra set of clothes, okay? And when it comes to food, you probably had just enough to survive for a week. It's like going to the grocery store every week, except they didn't have a grocery store back then, you have to grow everything, right? So there were like always, every day, you were this close to going hungry, Or you're going this close to being naked you're this close to being homeless so so you got to keep in mind okay that having extra stuff was unheard of back then okay and so if you had more stuff people will assume that you were a better person because you're like God must have blessed you even more than he blessed my family so you must be more important in God's eyes and I would even say that maybe today we're kind of like this I know I know deep down inside we've been taught you know like hey it's not about how much stuff you own But as, you know, you're you're, you're driving your car and you see a nicer car over there and you immediately think, that person makes more money than me. Maybe he's more educated than me. Maybe that person has a better-looking family than me, you know? (laughs) Why is it that rich people are always better-looking than me, you know? (laughs) Right? (laughs) That person has the clothes that I wanted to wear today. That person has the computer, the phone, you know, the new iPhone 11 Pro Max whatever that person probably has that already probably had it a week before it was released right but whatever it is you think you start to give them the, the you start to attribute these values to them that that person doesn't necessarily have when that person has more you start thinking that person's better and jesus says that's the danger of greed if you start chasing after the stuff of this world and that's the goal in your life okay it's okay to have stuff but if that's the goal in your life is to have more and more stuff then you will start to look at other people as People who are participating in the game you're playing, and that they're winning. They're further along than you. So you start thinking that they're better than you. And Jesus says, That's the danger of greed. You stop looking at the person's inherent value, and you start attributing them and measuring them according to a different scale, right? Because God will look at you and say, Great, you have 10 more stuff than that guy does, but you're just the same in my eyes. You and that other guy, you guys are equal. And He says, it's dangerous when you start thinking about greed when when you're caught in this game called greed because if when you do you start measuring people by a scale that never intended to use to to measure people's worth and then jesus doesn't just stop there he's like let me tell you a story we call those parables so so he says and he told them this parable so he's like it's story time are you guys ready to listen because when he tells a story when he tells a parable usually it requires you to put on a different type of thinking cap, so you have to think in the way that people thought back then in order to understand what he's about to teach us. He goes like this, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest, so there's a farmer, and the ground started wielding more and more crops. Now, if you're a farmer, and you had more crops today than you had last year, the credit usually goes to the farmer. But look at the text, Who does Jesus, or what does Jesus give credit to? He says, it's the ground that yielded the crop, not the farmer, the ground. He's trying to make a point here. And he says, he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. So immediately in the beginning of this story, in the beginning of this parable, Jesus starts off by giving us this weird scene where he says it was the ground. It wasn't the skill of the farmer, although that might have something to do with it. Okay. This, the farmer could have been a part of making it grow more than it did, abundantly than it did l- last year. Okay. But he says, but it's the ground. He's trying to paint this picture that it wasn't him that actually was responsible for the crops, but he claims it to be his. He's like, what should I do with my crops? So immediately Jesus gives us this scenario. Your success is not completely derived from your hard work. Like, what do you mean, Kotz? I studied really hard for that test. I deserve that, A. Oh, but Kotz, you know, I worked really hard. I worked eight hours yesterday so that I could have this paycheck. Oh, Kotz, I, you know, I I sacrificed so much so that I could make this much money. To which Jesus would say, good job. Okay, I'm glad you're working hard. I'm glad you're studying hard. But to think that you were the only one responsible for allowing this to happen is crazy. Like, you think about, well, he said, I'm a doctor, I, you know, I save lives, I, I, I deserve this pay. It's like, oh, yeah, that's good, you, you probably do, okay, and I'm not here to say no otherwise. But Jesus would say, but you are standing on the shoulders of people who invented stuff in the past. If you, the way you are right now, were living 200 years ago, you probably won't be making the same amount of money you'd making, be making today, right? As a matter of fact, the opportunities that took for you to get there, the right schools, the, the amount of tuition that your parents paid, or the... the the, the, the aid that you got to, you know, to pay for some of the stuff, you know, maybe the, the, the professors you had that taught you in the right way that, that you know, resonated with you. All these things fell into place in the right way so that you could become a doctor. Or maybe you're a lawyer, and you're like, yeah, I did this on my own. I, I deserve the money that I have. And Jesus would say, yes, you probably do, but you have to remember that there are other things that happen underneath you that you're standing on. It wasn't just you. Yes, I, don't want, I want to, you know, recognize that you put a lot of work into it, but you're not the only one. Or maybe you're a CEO. Maybe you're like Jeff Bezos from Amazon. But he's standing on the works of people who created the internet, right? If, he did, if there was no internet, there'd be no Amazon. And so Jesus says, I know you work really hard, Mr. Farmer dude. You know, you like, you make a lot of money. Good job, right? But it was the ground that gave you those crops. So stop acting like it's all yours, It's not just yours. It belongs to God. So what he's telling us is this. Your possessions do not belong to you. And so he looks back at the person who asked the question. He says, my brother has a lot of my dad's stuff, and I want him to give me my share. And Jesus says, be careful, that's greed. Why? Because the discussion that they're having is, who does it belong to? it belongs to my brother. No, it belongs to me. Or this portion belongs to me and that, the rest belongs to them. And and Jesus is like, you're having the wrong conversation. It all does not belong to either of you. It belongs to God who happens to have given it to your brother. And you're like, oh, well, that's just a wording thing, right? I mean, like, you're just wording it differently so that, you know, it's like, no, no, it makes all the difference in the world. <clears throat> He's basically saying every, if you Bring it down like if, it, it, like if you think that because you, you're successful in one area that it was all you, he's like talk to your parents who probably supported you to get there. And if you want to find out how your support, parents supported you, maybe they had a job that was able to support them and so talk to that person's boss or the person who started that business and if you were to track that back to, to when it started, you might find out that there was another person behind it and behind that there was somebody else and so forth and so forth all the way and it trace, gets traced all the way back to God. So he says... You should be thanking God for the things that you have. For the education that you have or are getting. And then Jesus continues his teaching, his parable. Then he said, this is what I'll do. This is the farmer. He's like, this is what I'm going to do with all the stuff I have. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. Now, notice what he doesn't say. Because this is what I would have done, okay? If I had a barn with a lot of stuff, and I'm like, oh, it's just so big, uh, I have so much stuff I can't fit it in this barn, what should I do? I would probably build another one, right? But he doesn't do that. What he does instead is that he tears down the one he has right now to build a bigger one so he could store more. Now, if you have excess, what you should actually be doing is you should be giving it away, or you should be giving it to people who really need it, but instead, he thinks about his business, okay, and <clears throat> as he's you know and he's, he's thinking to himself i'm going to hold on to this until there's a famine and if you're like where'd you get that in the text i'll explain to you in a second okay when there's a famine i'll sell it back to the people for extra income now where'd i get that this very phrase that you see on the screen right here is just to tear down and build bigger ones for the surplus when an ancient jewish group of people read this heard this story so 2,000 years ago if the group of jewish people were listening to this story jesus telling this story Immediately, there are light bulbs going off their heads because they know the Old Testament stories. See, when Jesus starts talking about how somebody tears something down to build something else, else that's bigger and to pour more things so that you can pour the surplus in there, they're thinking about empire. These are empire words. So, like, they're thinking about Egypt. When there was, you know, when uh, there was a big famine coming, Joseph goes up to the pharaoh and says, hey, there's a big famine. I think we should start storing stuff up. And then he puts all this stuff up. And for seven years, they had plenty. They were able to distribute the food to the people so they won't go hungry for seven years. But then the pharaoh realized after that, wow, people are so dependent on me. I could get a lot of power out of this. And so he started storing more stuff into his storehouses so that when there's a famine, he's like, you got to come to me now to get your food. And before you know it, there's an empire. And so when Jesus is telling this story, people are listening to the story about this, this, this farmer guy. And he's like, wow, this guy's turning into the enemy that we've been fearing this, this, in the existence of Israel, which is there's these world powers who are taking advantage of the lack of resources in our world, right? It's like, are you telling me, Jesus, that the conversation that these brothers are having is almost the birth of something very dangerous? And Jesus is like, I'm glad you're catching on to what I'm trying to imply here. And then he says this, and I'll say to myself, this is the farmer, he's like, I'm going to tell myself, and he's talking to himself, by the way. And by the way, in the book of Luke, whenever somebody talks to himself, it's never a good thing. Oh, I, yeah, so don't talk. Yeah, okay. You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. He's like, now that you are totally secure financially or resourcefully, why don't you, you know, take a vacation? Why don't you just, you know, enjoy life for the next few years? Now, regarding this passage, the, what we just read up until now, I want to share with you a commentary by a, doc, uh, a professor named Joel Green. Uh, he's like one of the best scholars when it comes to the book of Luke. This is what he says about this. What is good business practice for this wealthy farm, uh, farmer landholder has detrimental consequences for the peasants and tenants who are his neighbors and who, are far, who far outnumber him in the village economy. What he's saying is this, what he just did, this farmer just did, you know, tearing down and building something bigger so he could pour more into it, he's like, that's very good business sense. You're preparing for next year's crop. You're like, you know, right? But in doing so, you're actually harming your neighbors. Right? You are more secure, you have more stuff, you are better off, but your neighbors are not. It's actually bad for the economy, right? Next verse, uh, next part, he says this. His decision to hold back his produce will reflect harmfully on the regional economy. It will at the same time secure his economic power and position of status in the village as others are made more and more dependent on him. He's propping himself up to be the provider of his village. He's making himself into basically the provider. He's making himself into an idol. He says this is good business sense for the farmer but if you look at it from a humanitarian standpoint, it's actually detrimental. In other words, the farmer's greed devalued other human beings. We're not talking about, remember what I shared about the the culture back then, we're not talking about, oh, that farmer has all our stuff now. No, life is going to be a little harder. He's not saying life is more uncomfortable for these people. He's talking about life or death. He's talking about, Tomorrow we may not be able to eat because of this guy's business choices. Right, we're not talking about, oh, tomorrow, you know, I I guess I can't buy that new phone tomorrow because of what that guy did. It's not something about, this is not about discomfort, bringing discomfort into people's lives. We're talking about taking lives away. We're talking about people becoming homeless, people going hungry, people being malnutrition, you know, having malnutrition. He's like, this person, because he made good business. Now, I'm not saying that you you should not do whatever you can to improve the business that you're a part of. He's not saying that. He's saying, when it comes to greed, you start to devalue people because you only look at numbers all of a sudden. You only think about the growth of yourself without considering the effect it might have on other people. And then, in this story that Jesus is telling, God speaks to the farmer. This is what he says. God said to him, you fool! Now, today the word "fool" could mean a lot of things. Like, right? hey, what's that fool? You know, like could be, could, you know, it could be an endearing thing. It could be just like you know, a snarky comment. In the old, in the old and the New Testament, the word "fool," especially in the New Testament, which was written in Greek, is the word "aphron," not to be confused with Zac Efron, but it's "aphron." Okay, which means to live as it. Okay, Af- Af- okay, it means to live as if there is no God that's what the word fool means in the Greek. Okay. So, so meaning if you believe that this life is all there is, that there is no life beyond this one, right? It makes complete sense. If you believe there is no God, it makes complete sense to drink and eat and be merry. Make the most of that you can out of this life. You know, if this is the only life that matters and there's no accountability between you and God, then it makes complete sense to look out for yourself and nobody else. Survival of the fittest, right? Come on, let's, you know, let's, let's, let's build ourselves an empire because that's what really matters. And so when God shows up in this story and talks to the rich farmer, he looks at him and says, you're living as if you don't think that I exist. You fool, you Afron, right? And then he says, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Now, I don't want you to jump to conclusions here. Jesus is not saying that if you're greedy, you're going to die tonight, okay? And if you happen to pass away tonight, it's not because that person was greedy, okay? So I'm just, don't jump to that conclusion because I've heard people say this before, that if you're greedy, God's going to take your life tonight. No, that's not what he's saying. The point he's trying to make is the part that I highlighted right there for you. He says, who will get your stuff? What he's saying here is, at the end of the day, right, who gets your stuff? Who ends up with your stuff because the question that jesus is asking here is not you know how much security do you have in your life what he wants to do is he's trying to force us to ask this very important question that question is this why did god give you more than you need he's trying to get the farmer to ask that question he's like why do you have why do you think you have an abundance of crops this year or maybe he's asking the older brother why do you think all the inheritance went to you He might be asking you, why do I have more money than I actually need today? Why do I have more clothes than I need today? Why do I have more, you know, why do I have extra? Have you ever asked that question? Why did God give me so much? I mean, we ask the other flip, right? When you're poor and you're lacking resources and your bills are due, you always ask God, why didn't you give me the stuff that I need? But we rarely ask the other flip side of that same coin, which is, why did you give me so much? And Jesus really wants us to ask that question more than the other question. He wants us to ask the question, well, why do I have so much? And and according to the story that Jesus gave, that he just told, his answer is this, so that you can give to others. The rich farmer, he held on to everything. And he thought the excess that God gave him was so that he could build up an empire. And then... God knocks on his door that night and says, who do you think your, who, who do you think your stuff is going to go to? Because when you die, you can't take it with you. Where do you think the stuff is going? To someone else. So if it's going to end up in somebody else's hands eventually anyways, why don't you give it to somebody instead of hoarding it as long as you can? Why did God give you more than you need? So you can give to others. Well, why should I give it to others? because of this because everything you have is a gift from god what does that mean what he's saying is this with all the stuff that you have all the excess stuff that you have bless other people with it why because everything you have belongs to god that he decided to let you have and now so basically everything you own your clothes everything right the roof over your head everything is a gift from god to you and god is watching you to say Okay, now that you have my stuff, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to use it to build an empire for yourself, or are you going to use it to bring heaven on earth? And it's not just money. The implication here is your time. Some people have zero time in their schedule to do anything that they need to do, but you have extra time. Why did God give you extra time? Because that time that you have is a gift from God. What are you going to do with that time? The education that you have. Some people here have more education than others, right? The education you have is a gift from God. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to use it for just yourself? And it's okay to use it for yourself. God is asking what are you doing with the excess, with the extra? What are you going to do with the education that you have that most, most people don't have? Or some of you guys, you guys work out. You guys are strong. You got muscle, man, right? Why did God give you strength? Strength is a gift from God. If you use that strength to power over other people, threaten people, act like, you know, use it to boost your own ego, God's saying, I didn't give you this extra strength to you so that you could do that with it. There's people who are moving next week. (laughs) Maybe God gave you the strength so that you could help them out. (laughs) You're like, no, that can't be it. No, it could be. (laughs) Right? Some of you have the gift of influence. When a person starts saying a few words, they just get ignored right away, but when you say one word, everybody turns to you and says, oh, tell me more. And in the back of your mind, you know there's people who want to have their voices heard, but but, but no matter how hard and how loud loud they talk, no one listens to them. Why did God give you extra influence? That influence you have is a gift. What are you going to do with that? How are you going to bring heaven on earth with that extra influence that you have? We're entering into a season where we're going to be voting soon. Some of you have the right to vote. There are some people, maybe your neighbors, who don't have that right. With your vote, are you going to vote for something that's just going to benefit you? or Because that vote that you have, that gets counted, is a gift from God. Are you going to use that vote to just edify yourself? Are you going to use that to bless the world? And in the example that Jesus gave right now, he says, your very next breath, your very life, is also a gift. It can be taken away from you at any moment, and you don't know when it's going to happen. Some of you have breathed many more breaths than somebody else. Somebody else passed away, but you're still breathing today, and that's a gift. What are you going to do with the life that you have? Are you going to use it to build yourself an empire, yourself a kingdom, or are you going to use it to bless other people? This is what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, when you start thinking about how much can I accumulate, when you start thinking about greed, the danger of that is that you only think about yourself and everybody else just becomes a statistic. They're just a number. So you start ignoring their needs. You start ignoring the the humanity (laughs) of the people around you and you just start thinking about yourself. And he says, that's the danger of greed. So keep in mind, the best way to fight greed is to remember that everything that we have is a gift. Yes, you probably work really hard to get what you have. But that ability to work hard is also a gift from God. Everything you own belongs to God. And it's up to God to tell us how we should be spending that resource. So let's go on to verse 21. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Now, when he says this is what would would happen, people people assume, like, you mean, you know, this is how it will be? They're like, you mean God's going to take my life away? And he's like, no, no, that's not what he means by this. The word this is referring to the very idea that this man in the he was playing the game of greed. He was trying to get as much stuff as possible, and in doing so, he was making enemies, right? So he has no friends. And in doing so, he was turning his back on God, because he was acting as if God wasn't around, right? In doing so, he neglected everything, and at the end of his life, he had all the stuff he ever wanted. But when you die, you don't get to carry that stuff with you. So at the very end of the day, or end of your life, what are you left with? Zero. Right, because your stuff is being be given away to somebody else, anyways. You don't have God, and you don't have other, you don't have people around you, so you're left with zero. So he says, this is what's going to happen to you if you play this game of greed, that you're going to end up with nothing, right? And this is how it's going to be with people who are trying to be rich with yourself. But he said instead, you should be rich towards God. Now, what does he mean by rich towards God? So let's kind of look into that. Rich towards God, because he says it's not wrong to be rich. Right? because being rich is a gift. Right, So what does he mean by being rich towards God? And Jesus kind of explained it to us what that is. So what we know so far is this, that you have to know that everything you have is a gift. So it's not just how you spend your money. It's a very central core belief in your heart that you believe that everything you have is not yours, that it belongs to God. Okay, So that's, that's the first thing. Okay, and the second thing, the way you want to, what you want to do, if you want to be rich towards God, is you want to give away what you don't need. So, let me put a lot of you guys off the hook. Jesus is not saying, give away everything you have so they have nothing to live off of. That's not what he's saying here. In other parts of the Bible, Old and New Testament, Jesus talks about how you have to meet your needs first before you go on and you know give away what you have because God gave you some stuff to enjoy right but then god sometimes has given you more than you need to enjoy and so at that point the excess part you need to give it away and so when it comes to how we should be spending the stuff that god has given us he's given us a very simple priority list okay it's one through three it goes like this number one the money you have the resources you have the time you have the gifts you have use it to live that means you gotta pay a mortgage, pay for food, pay for tuition, whatever you need to exist, to live your life as God has called you to live, right? Some of you, God has called you to go to college, other of you, other of you know, right? Other people, grad school, some of you, no, right? Whatever it is that God has called you to live, okay? Whatever God has given you, use that to, to pay for that, okay? Number two is you need to start saving. So maybe God has called you to do something else in the future, like, hey, when you have a family, God has called you to have, you know, a house or a rental property or a vacation, right, or a car, whatever it is, right, retirement, right, save. So first live off of what you have and then save. And then finally, with the excess that you have on top of that, he's like, I want you to give that away. But there's a, there's a problem with this. There's a problem with this model. And now there, I'm not saying that the, pro- the model that Jesus gave us has a problem. The problem is not with the model. It's actually with us. We take Jesus' commands, and then we kind of take advantage of it. And I'll explain to you what I mean by that. Because this, okay, so Jesus, around the year A.D. 30 30 to 33, this is when Jesus gave this teaching, okay? Since then, after Jesus died on the cross and he rose again, a new group of people emerged, and that's called the Christians, the church. That's who we are, okay? And as they were trying to live according to the ways of Jesus, okay, some corruption started to pop up inside the church. I know, surprise, right? right? People were starting to spend money on themselves. Like, what they were doing is, when it says live, you're like, okay, so I'll pay for my mortgage, I'll pay for my rent, I'll pay for my food, I'll pay for my tuition, right? And then save. Okay, so I'll, I'll save for retirement, I'll save for college, I'll save for my vacation, I'll save for a car, I'll save for an emergency fund, I'll do all that, right? And then you have, like, let's just say, whatever left. Now, when you saw that, that there's excess, you're like, wait a minute, instead of giving it away, I can't technically say that I'm saving it for a yacht. So uh, let's just put that in my number two category, you know, like, we'll do that. Um, And okay, I'm gonna give this away, but you know, to live, I can't just eat, you know, the food I'm eating right now. I need to splurge every once in a while, so I'll put this in category one. And so uh, part of my living expense also includes a fine steak dinner from Laurie's or whatever, right? And it's like, okay, I have this much left. Oh, you know what? I would give it away, but You know i need to save up for the new iphone that comes out two weeks from now or you know whatever right and so as you're looking at all this you're like oh look i have nothing left to give away and so as the first century church was starting to come together right some of the church leaders are looking at this saying uh this this isn't right there's something some corruption happening here so i need to restate to them what jesus just taught them a few years ago and so this is a letter from a guy named paul paul the apostle who's telling a pastor of a small church called timothy On what he should do so this is how it goes he says command those who are rich in the present world not to be arrogant meaning these people are using their money in the way they're doing and they're feeling arrogant about it because they believe in the in in their hearts that they actually earned this that this actually belongs to them that this is my possession right that's why they're arrogant he's like command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth which is so uncertain but to put their hope in god who Richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. He says, first, let's get their mind off of being arrogant. The reason they're doing this, you know, reallocating, you know, trying to justify why they should be spending more on themselves than other people. Like, let's make sure that the first step is that they remember that this is not their stuff. This is a gift, right? Because we have to be reminded that it is God who richly provides us. So, Paul is basically telling Pastor Timothy, you need to preach a sermon or teach them in small group that, that what they have is a gift, that it was God who gave it to them for their enjoyment. It's not because they worked hard that they own everything they have. Yes, they worked hard, but it's because of God that they're able to work hard. So just remind them that what they have is a gift. And then... Right? I mean he says, hey, you know, the food that you're eating, the clothes you're wearing, the roof over your head, the next breath that you're breathing, it's all a gift. It's all gift provided by God who loves us. And then with the stuff that you that God has given you, he says this next verse. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. So Paul, he takes this model, next screen. He gives this model right here that Jesus gave us and says if you guys are having a hard time disciplining yourselves to follow this model because you keep justifying it, you're like, oh, I will just move this to here and there, you know, he gives us a brand new model. And like I said, Paul isn't trying to change Jesus' teaching. He's trying to teach us that if you have a problem following this model, there's another way of going about it. And he, he says this, new model is this. First, start off by thinking of how much you want to give. And then think of how much you want to save and then you live on the rest. So he kind of flipped it upside down. He says, because if you give what is excess, right, let's just say you, you have like, just so that we're, you know, it's easier to keep track, we'll use smaller numbers. Let's just say you have $10 that, that you need to live off of, right, and you're like, I'm gonna save $10, and the remaining $10 I'm gonna give away, right? It could be anywhere, you could give it to somebody who's in need, or you could give it to church, you know, but if you're like, you know, it's conspiracy, you don't have to give it to the church. Just give it to whoever, because this is what, he doesn't really specify who to give it away to, okay, but he says, just give it away, but he's like, but if you're the kind of person that takes t- this, the $10 in category three, and you put it into category one and two, just so that you don't have to give anything away, then what you probably need to do is, you start off by giving away $10, and then you save $10, and then you live off of the remaining $10. One of the, fa- the, the founder of the Methodist movement, his name is John Wesley, he was known for doing this. He said that he, he, for him to live, he lived in London for the first part of his life. He says, he says um, it takes about eighteen pounds for him to live, and he was making twenty pounds, so he gave away two pounds. He says later on in his life, he was making thirty pounds, so he gave away twelve pounds. He didn't upgrade his lifestyle. What he did instead was he just the excess got bigger, he just gave it away, and he was asked, how did you do that? And he said, well, from a very young age, I got into the habit of giving away first, saving second, and then living on the rest. So I'm not saying this is a model for everybody. And like I said, I will never tell you what to do with your money. But this is a suggestion that the Bible gives us, is the goal is to live, save, then give away the rest. But if you have a hard time doing that, the dis- if you need more discipline in your life, you need more structure so that you follow these these. these Struck these recommendations, then maybe we should flip it around. And say, maybe we should give, save, and then live on the rest. What both Paul and what Jesus is saying is very clear. What he's saying is this: We have a divine responsibility to give. If we only care about the quality of our lives, if we only care about building up our own kingdoms, our own empires, it is impossible to bring heaven on earth, because we're only thinking about ourselves. So where are you on this spectrum? Have you been the kind of person that says, you know what, I'm going to compromise more and more so that I can build up my own life? Do you think about yourself first before you think about the people around you? And if that's you, then maybe we should go with Paul's model, which is give, save, and then live on the rest. But maybe you've been doing that for a long time, and now it's just natural to you. You know the the the, when i think about what what jesus is teaching in this parable i think about my own kids so um i haven't had a laptop for a long time because i've been able to do most of my work on an ipad and so i've been you know taking my keyboard to starbucks with with my ipad and i'm like typing up my sermons and i'm doing all this work you know but it's not just a work machine for me it's also a plaything when i'm home like i'm surfing the web i'm checking emails i'm watching videos YouTube takes away so much of my time and my life, but it's okay. But then I'm starting to realize my kids are doing the same thing. They take my iPad when I'm not working with it. Like, Daddy, can you use the iPad? Sure. And when there's usually a fight that happens, it's usually them fighting over whose iPad it is. They're like, Justin took iPad. And Justin's like, but I was using it first. And the whole time I'm thinking, but it's actually mine. right? <laughs> right? What, they're asking really, what they're really fighting over is whose turn is it? Right? But when they start using terms that makes me think, like, like this is actually mine, you know, <laughs> right? <laughs> then at that point, I'm like, oh, you totally missed the point. And I'm sure that's what Jesus felt too. When Jesus, these two guys came, oh, when this younger brother came up to Jesus and said, Jesus, tell my brother to give me my share of my inheritance because he's hoarding everything. I'm sure Jesus felt like what I felt, which is, but it's really mine, <laughs> you know? I can't believe these guys are fighting over this. They're having the wrong conversation they forgot that it's a gift. God gives a lot, an abundance to certain people and not to other people, not because he's trying to be unfair. He's doing that so that he could give people the opportunity to share and experience the blessings. When I let my kids use my iPad and I see them fight over it and the fight is about who gets who who it belongs to, my heart breaks because I'm like, I, you know, you're using my stuff so that, you know, you could, you know, you could learn how to share. Or even when I give them a room, you know, we, my wife and I were like, we have, several, we have more than one bedroom, but we're going to put them in the same bedroom on purpose so they learn how to share. And when they start fighting over, that corner is mine, or, you know, this part of the room is mine, you can't cross this line. At that point, I'm thinking, oh, you missed the point. Like, I gave, you know, we gave this bigger bed to your brother and gave this one to you because, you know, like, he's, he has a bigger body, you know, and, right? And, I, I, and we're trying to help, right? In the same way, God has given some people more stuff. And it's not because you're amazing w- with your hands, okay? It's not because you're valued more in the eyes of God. In the same way, God has given my wife and I jobs so we could earn some money, okay? God did not give my kids jobs because they're too young, Now, if my wife and I were like, we're going to hoard this stuff because all that matters is us, right, we would be irresponsible. The fact is, God didn't give anything to our kids yet, but he's given a lot to us so that we could give to them. See, and no one would say, this is so unfair, God, that you gave these adults some more stuff than the kids. No, no, no. God wants to make us responsible, right, and participate in the blessings of experiencing this gift from God. And we give it to our kids, and now they're experiencing the gift that came from God that came through their parents. In the same way, your neighbors, the people around you, if you keep thinking about greed, how much stuff you could accumulate, you're going to miss out on the humanity of the people who live around you. So brothers and sisters, may we all recognize that everything that we have is a gift. And the more we're convinced of that, the less greed there will be in the body of Christ. Amen? All right, let's pray.